Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Kathleen Timmy is an assistant professor of pediatric endocrinology at the University of Utah. She also serves as a director of educational development for GME and associate program director for fellowship education within the pediatrics department. She is currently pursuing a master's in education degree as well at the University of Cincinnati. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That is a lot of accomplishments there. Obviously, I'm struggling just to say all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I struggle as well to say all of them. (laughs) So what got you into your current roles, especially with GME, since we're mostly focusing on kind of the medical student audience here, and you're an active participant of this, you have your own podcast, Teaching in Medicine. How did you kind of branch into the more GME spectrum? So I developed a love for teaching during residency. I always enjoyed having students on the team. I felt like finally I was at a point where I could share some of my knowledge. And I really just enjoyed sharing the parts of medicine that I love so much with learners. And then during residency and fellowship, I became a little bit more formally involved in education. I joined the Graduate Medical Education Committee as a trainee. I joined an executive subcommittee as a trainee representative and really just became fascinated by the behind the scenes aspects of medical education and how we come up with effective programs and effective curricula. And so much that I had wanted to pursue the master's of education, which I've been working on in the background for the last couple of years and will hopefully finish next spring. And so when I was looking for my first clinical position, I wanted a blend of taking care of patients, but also working with learners and working at the GME level. I really like working with residents and fellows. I like that they're a little bit more differentiated in their path, kind of know what they're interested in. And I find it really exciting um, those last few years before you start practicing on your own. So here at the University of Utah, that position became available and it just was a really nice fit between my clinical passions and then also getting to do some administrative stuff at the GME level. And I guess we really covered the icebreaker question there, which is usually how are you changing medicine and medical education for the better? So we definitely have a lot of things on the plate there where you're improving education, you're improving your own education as well as the GME learners that you teach and still being able to intermix a lot of the patient care aspects, the clinical education with your learners. So that's really impressive. That's really great because we also have a lot of topics that are going to really focus on some of the I suppose, student-patient interactions that we haven't covered in a lot of great detail in past episodes. So I think the first thing to start off with is the discussion about health literacy, because this is something that is constantly evolving as well. And a lot of learners, when they're getting into the clinical setting, don't really know how to approach it. What advice would you have for that? So I think health literacy is a really important topic that unfortunately isn't covered in most medical school curricula. We learn about all of the science behind what we're doing, but I think being able to communicate that effectively to a patient is a skill set in and of itself. I did an episode recently with Ms. Jean Shipman. She's a librarian emerita and past president of the Medical Library Association. So a lot of these pearls come from what I learned from her. 
think one of her main points was that anybody can experience low health literacy at any point in their lives. So it's not just patients who come from low socioeconomic status or disadvantaged backgrounds, but really, you know, if, if I go to see an oncologist at some point in my life, that's not my area of expertise. So I could experience low health literacy in that situation. So I think trying to always break things down for your patient, avoid using medical jargon and not assuming that they know more than they do is always a safe place to start. I also really liked something that she taught me about called teach back. So after you've spent time talking with a patient or explaining something about their condition or a new treatment that you're going to use, having them sort of talk it back to you to see what their level of understanding is. So you could say something like, tell me what you understood from our conversation. This is a really complicated topic. I want to make sure that you know what's going on. Or, you know, can you just walk me through how you're going to take this medication at home? I think that verifies that they understood what you said. And we certainly use that kind of feedback and language in a lot of other areas of medicine, but I think it's really important to use with patients. I think it's interesting to note, I've heard stories of this even where maybe the patient is a doctor or even a medical student, and that makes the physician think that, all right, you're going to know what I'm talking about, but that's not always the case. And like you said, with different specialties, I might be a patient for this, even though I'm a specialist in this, I still need to maybe update my information or get clarification on certain newer procedures, newer topics, something I haven't covered it in a long time. So we can't assume that just because they're of a higher education that they're really going to understand the clinical significance of what's being discussed. Absolutely. And I think especially when it comes to stressful diagnoses too, you know, you may be an expert in that field, but when it's about you or your family member, I think it's even harder to, to listen. Very true. Very true. All right. So it's kind of interesting that we discuss a little bit in actually the episode where I was on your show, which thank you so much for letting me come on and speak to your audience. And we're discussing some of the learning techniques for medical mnemonics and and just experience or evidence-based strategies as is covered in, in the Medical Nemesis podcast. Do you find that any of those techniques might be useful in this scenario or is it sort of a, just kind of a more hands-on approach you need to sort of learn as you're going? I mean, I think any tips that you can give to patients on how to remember to do something or how to, you know, understand a concept could be really helpful. I take care of kids with diabetes, so I often have to be creative and thinking about ways for them to remember to take their insulin. And so we might not be using mnemonics, but trying to think about, you know, how are they going to place things? in a region of their house, quite literally, where they're going to remember to take it. So, you know, putting some of your insulin next to your toothbrush when you're brushing your teeth twice a day, it requires kind of that level of creativity that we talked about when you were on my episode. Okay. Just wanted to throw in that tangent real quick, because I'm used to the student population, you know, especially basic sciences really using the techniques, but I know that a lot of these can be used outside too. And I'd be interested to learn more about how to implement them for patient education, which I haven't really covered before. But just a little quick tangent there. And again, to shout out that you have the Teaching in Medicine podcast. So for anyone that is interested in listening to that, it is a very informative show in medical education. Clinical preceptors are busy professionals as is, and those wishing to give back to the academic community can be overburdened by scheduling and paperwork. 
With the Find a Rotation platform, physicians looking to precept students can register for their free account, control calendar availabilities, set preferences, and be done. Our system automates and simplifies much of the process. Register for your free account now by visiting findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. The next topic that we kind of had lined up here was the small groups teaching, which I recently listened to that podcast episode and I felt like I learned a lot from it. So maybe we can cover some of the main points there and things that students can actually start to implement now to benefit their own studies. Yeah, I think what's really exciting is, especially as you move towards the clinical years, students become even more involved as teachers. So the first couple of years, you're kind of more traditionally the recipient of knowledge, but you will be asked to teach your team of residents, um, your co-students. Certainly there's a lot of problem-based learning and, and teaching that you do with each other. And so in that episode, I met with Dr. John Sawicki, who's a pediatric hospital medicine fellow and just an extraordinary educator. And we talked about everything from how to prepare for a small group session and tips for during the small group teaching. I really appreciated some of his advice on how to prepare. I think sometimes students especially may know a couple of days ahead of time that they're going to lead a teaching session on something. Maybe they saw an interesting patient and the attending says, hey, can you present on this patient on Friday and look into this issue? Let us know what you learned. That's very common on the wards. And so I would encourage them to try to keep it very clinically relevant. Think about a recent patient, use examples from that patient encounter, try to pick a few learning objectives. And remember that in your teaching session, you're not expected to cover absolutely everything on the topic, but maybe hone in on you know, the treatment aspect or diagnosis or how you narrow down a differential and make sure it's appropriate for the amount of time that you're allotted. And then also think about what your teaching techniques are going to be ahead of time. So you could take advantage of a whiteboard or a chalkboard and sort of write out some of the ways that you're working through a case. You could prepare a handout ahead of time. You could look into multimedia resources like videos or podcasts, have your learners take a listen or a look ahead of time, but really think about those few things ahead of time. And I think it was even mentioned to, you know, obviously you're teaching to the level of the students at that point. So he was mentioning maybe if I wanted to test something that's really strong in pathophysiology. I might do that for a second or third year student because they just got done with their boards or their studying form right now. So they're going to know that even though maybe at a later point, it's going to be less relevant to whatever specialty they go into. So they might not know that anymore. It might have sort of fallen off as they're taking in more material that is relevant to what they're currently doing. So just planning ahead, I suppose, is kind of a difficult thing to do and not really also knowing completely where everyone is in their academic pathway it just makes group training very difficult, but also very informative. You can see what other students are learning at different stages and kind of plan accordingly. Yeah, that's definitely one of the main challenges. So often you don't have the luxury to prepare for a small group. It might be just on the fly teaching after rounds. And I'd say even if you could take a minute to ask everybody their name, their level of training, kind of what they understand on the topic, then you can really gear your teaching towards the different levels. So you may have a pharmacy student with you. You may have a fellow, you may have a intern and everybody kind of has a different area of expertise. And so when you're asking questions or going through different aspects of your teaching, 
you may pose your pathophysiology questions to the students who often know way more about pathophysiology than I do at this point. For interns, you might ask them more about diagnoses and further up the chain, you might ask more complex management questions or what latest guidelines are. Yeah. I find that extremely helpful because if, for instance, when I was studying for step one, I was really studying for the test. I wasn't really thinking about the next step up. What are going to be the multiple management differences? And getting into that mindset and out of teaching to the test mindset can probably open up some things for students. But something we covered a lot in season one of this show was really more the clinical techniques. It's called the one minute preceptor. I'm sure you're familiar with the model. So how to really get these clinical pearls across to the students, how to teach them effectively, quickly, and all of the wide range of academic environments that we're going to be in. What are some of the best takeaways that you've learned through your personal experiences, through your education, through your interviews? It's definitely a challenge, I think, especially as someone who's early in my career to feel like I have enough of a grasp of what I'm doing to share that with learners. I think some of that is the imposter syndrome that many of us will experience during our careers. I think one important thing to remember is that you always have something to teach and something to share, and it might not be you know, the latest research on the topic, but even something as simple as you know, how do you examine this particular patient or how do you explain this condition at a level the patient would understand? Those are, you know, not necessarily found in textbooks, but those techniques can be really valuable for learners to see and to hear about. I had an episode recently, episode 20 on clinical and bedside teaching and spoke with Dr. Paramal Diodar of Seattle Children's. And she had this great concept of activating the learner before a clinical encounter, which I really like, and I'm going to start doing. So it's kind of giving each learner something to focus on during the clinical encounter. So I may ask one individual to kind of take a look at all the nonverbal cues in the room. You might ask somebody else to take a look at the patient and see what you can elicit from a physical exam without even listening to them with a stethoscope. You may ask somebody else to focus on the social history and let us know how that contributes to the differential. And so each person kind of has something specific that they're doing. And that kind of gets you out of the mindset of just kind of standing there and being a passive observer, but gives you something to do. Yeah. And I know the physical exams are notoriously difficult for students early on in their training, but also that aspect, like you mentioned, the language of medicine is so difficult. You kind of spend the first two years learning how to turn normal language into medical terminology, and now you have to learn how to translate it back in a way that the patient understands. So it's almost like being bilingual in some aspects there. Learning how to do that as effectively as possible is not something I've ever seen a straight course on. I guess you just kind of learn from, from your clinical experiences. You just learn as you go. And then, you know, as you ask patients to explain back what you've taught and they say, you know, I really don't understand what you're asking me to do. Or you see them back and they didn't perhaps take the medication in the way that you had described. You know, always think about yourself first that perhaps you didn't explain it well. And it's not so much that the patient doesn't want to do what you have asked them to do. And so taking that as an opportunity to re-educate and then think about, okay, next time I see a patient with this condition, I'm not going to forget to tell them you know, X, Y, or Z, because I've seen that I've missed it in the past. So constantly learning. Yeah. So a teach back point is very useful to make sure that 
the patient understands, but also the student needs to receive feedback to make sure they're going down the right path. They're attacking all of these different, I suppose, clinical aspects that they're less familiar with. And there have to be certain ways to to gain feedback in that that's useful. Obviously, the one minute preceptor kind of says to give feedback immediately. A lot of studies seem to show that type of immediate feedback can be very useful. But exactly how to go about, I suppose, two directions, how to go about it as a preceptor, leaving useful feedback, but also how to change what you're doing as a student. Two vastly different topics, I suppose, but I think understanding where the preceptor is coming from will help the student better understand how to take that, not as like a criticism or something negative, but as a very useful tool to change what they're doing currently. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole body of literature on how to be a good recipient of feedback, which I think is really important for your listeners. And, you know, it doesn't feel good to hear that you're not doing well at something, especially when we grow up in this education system and this culture that is so grade based. You know, we get these step scores and your clerkship grades, and that tells us how we're doing on the path to becoming a physician. But I think once you've made it to the training phase, that's your time to make mistakes and learn And it's really a beautiful protected time to get constructive feedback and improve before you're actually the final word in taking care of patients. Good point. Yeah, that effective recipient of feedback is something that actually I haven't read too much on the literature yet. So I would definitely like to receive that better. It's so easy for a student to, especially depending on their relationship with the preceptor, take it as something negative that they've made a mistake and fall back into the imposter syndrome. I don't actually know what I'm doing here. Oh no, you know, downward spiral sort of aspect instead Mm -hmm. of using it for the productive feedback that it can be. And I think one of the best things that educators can do is to model being open to feedback for themselves. So I think the best preceptors will also ask you to, you know, give them some feedback, how they can improve on their teaching. And hopefully that creates a safe space for the learner to also be a little more open to feedback. And it's really about having that growth mindset. We are all learning. We're all improving. There's not a day when you finally arrived and know everything that you need to know. And so, you know, your best role models will be the ones that are also open to receiving feedback themselves. That's a great point. Modeling can be very useful in most education settings, but especially clinical medicine, I feel. Well, I love the topics we've covered here so far, and these are just a couple of top highlights from your podcast. Of course, there is much more detail in your episodes, in your interviews. What are some parting thoughts and where can the audience find you? Yeah, so thank you so much for allowing me to share some of these pearls. I can't take credit for many of them, um, and I encourage your listeners to check out the full episodes for details. I host a podcast called Teaching in Medicine. You can find it wherever you find podcasts also on anchor.fm slash teaching and medicine. You can follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at teaching and med and facebook.com slash teaching in med. I'm always interested in receiving feedback on the podcast as well. So would love to hear the thoughts of your listeners. That's great. We'll definitely add those links in the show notes as well. And of course, Dr. Kathleen Timmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. 
Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.